Hey, 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 this is The Rest with Joel Kovacs. How you doing? The rest of my thoughts, the rest of our church, and with a little bit of uh, help, hopefully some rest for our souls. Disclaimer, this is not a sermon, if you will. These are my thoughts, and these are my interests, and these are your thoughts and your interests. The rest is a time for open and safe opinions and dialogue. And for the rest, the rest of the people in the church, some of their ideas, some of the great people, some of the thoughts that I didn't get to finish with messages and the underlying commentaries on all kinds of stuff. And today... Uh, episode 15, we're going to continue um, a little mini series on mental health because May is mental health month. And if you didn't listen to episode 13 and 14, I had Katie Kovacs, my wife on mental health professional, uh, go listen to those. They're great about uh, her story and uh, mental health in the church. And then today my special guest is Tony Yukis. How you doing, Tony? Good. Good. How are you? T- I'm good. Tony good. is a mental health professional. And he's going to tell us uh, specifically in what area. But Tony is also just an all-around good dude, and he's <laughs> he's married. He's married to um, our full-time staff uh, member here, Emma, who was Emma Sipes, yes, and now is Emma Yukis. And uh, for those in the in the five fourteen church family, uh, Emma Sipes' daughter, Kenny Sipes, who is the founder of the Roosevelt. And uh, so Tony and Emma, how long have you guys been married? Been married five years now. Five? Yep. You did our wedding. I five know years it was five years. <laughs> yeah. In uh, Pete, where where was it? We were in Princeton, Illinois. Princeton, Illinois. Yeah, and in it, the middle it, of it, nowhere. And it, right, and it was it, wasn't that uh, New, New Year's Eve? Eve. Yes. And was, the Buckeyes were playing. And the Buckeyes and, were playing Clemson. You know, which, and they got destroyed thirty-five yeah, to three or something. Yeah. Yeah. Which you were glad. I mean, I wasn't glad, but, you know. Well, you're from Illinois. Correct. So you are a fanboy, right? <laughs> yes. You love the ally, the fighting alliance. I do. I do. Well, you have uh, one of my, wor- probably one of your best memories, one of my worst memories as a Buckeye fan. Yeah. I think it was in 2003. Yeah, Juice Williams. Juice Williams. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was at that game. Were you there? No. I was at that game. He was not, he was good. He was good, but he was not like this great passer he had this one pass that just like was w- way too high over top of like the safety. The guy got behind and there was nothing special about it. We just broke coverage and then they scored a touchdown and it was like, what in the world? What yeah. are we doing here? <laughs> but he was, that guy was good, man. Uh, anyway. That was bad because that was after we won the, nat- the natty, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then we lost a couple games Yep. and you were happy. Yeah, I mean, I was also 10, so. You were 10. How do you feel about, uh, what is it, uh, Kofi? I love him. He's the man. I, yeah. Are you disappointed with how? Yes, yeah. I'm very disappointed. What'd they do? Did they, they lost in the Big Ten final yeah. to Iowa. Is that right? Not the final. Huh? Not the final. Okay, who Quarter did they lose final. to? Uh, we lost to Iowa. To Iowa. Believe, yeah. yeah. And then, what they do, round two? <laughs> yeah, again. Man. They are too good for that. Yeah. <laughs> the Big Ten, ah, frustrating. Anyway. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> well, so Tony's here, and uh, Tony, uh, I, typically what I do is I do a little bit of recapping from this week's message, kind of the rest of the message, the sure. footnotes, 
And uh, I would love to have you along for that. And then we'll dive into to, uh, your world a little bit. Cool. And so uh, this is, uh, we started a new series at the church because we're in a season of servanthood. So kind of mixing mixing things here, mental health and servanthood, not completely mutually exclusive, exclusive by any stretch of the imagination. So this is Footnotes. And the footnotes for, for this time, what we did is uh, I really talked about this uh, word koinonia that's in the Bible that is usually translated, you know, partnership or fellowship Mm -hmm. and how um, I had recently read that Paul's intentions with the word were to go beyond just fellowship. You know, they really were a special bond that is created between a local body and someone who is in some type of mission field. Because Paul uses the word in a sense of a unique partnership that he has with the Philippian church that is giving him gifts while he's in prison. And how those gifts do something for him, not just because they help him while he's in the midst of, of you know being in jail, but also because of who they're from. And when you get a gift from someone that you know means something that that way to you, it's almost like they're with you, you yeah. know? And so... Um, we talked about that and we talked about how uh, the the disciples were asking Jesus about what servanthood was, or really they weren't asking what servanthood was about. They were asking him if they could sit next to him in the kingdom. And Jesus basically says, you can't, those seats are already taken. And what he's alluding to is the cross and how there's going to be criminals there and how him going to the cross is what it means to, to be glorified. You know that the king and the the king and the 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 crown and the the kingdom of God and the cross are connected, in that what they thought glorification meant was sitting on a throne, and what he was sh- going to show them is that r- the type of leader I am is a servant leader. And so, um, if you didn't get that, but then what we're going to do in our church, and this is really all I'll do with footnotes today, is just give a a, a brief review. But then encourage everybody that over the next couple of weeks we have three guest speakers to come in and talk about servanthood. And uh, then we're going to have the majority of our partners here on the 15th. And I want people to have the opportunity to get to know them a little bit more, a little bit deeper um, so that maybe they connect with them directly and they go beyond just, you know, giving money to the church, but they connect with these partners that are, you know, and they know them and then they get, they get uh, moved with compassion because they, they love that person. They care what they're going through so much. So, uh, I would say I saw a little bit of Koinonia in the, um, uh, there was a recent story, I think I told it a couple podcasts ago, but there's a guy in our church who, um, his friend works at an orphanage. Now this, I mean, this is going to connect with you because Mm -hmm. one of the great, one of the great parts of you and your wife's story, I'll let you tell is adoption, but he's, did you hear the story? This could be too much. I don't know. I want to overwhelm you. Um, Did you hear this? Are you referencing Scott? Yes. Yeah. You remember that yes. story? Okay. I mean, what a powerful story. <clears throat> yeah. So he has a, I think a college roommate who worked at an orphanage yep. and then another one of his college roommates got kids from that orphanage. Um, I think his, I think what he said was his um, college roommate adopted kids from that orphanage and that's um, it. That's how he's connected to that. Orphanage. So his college roommate adopted kids from an orphanage in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And then that, that orphanage got destroyed in the war. Yes. And Scott came up on stage to pray for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And I think what you saw when he was standing up here 
he wept. Mm-hmm. He was moved because of the connectivity. Yeah. So I think like that's koinonia, right? It's like a, I know that person mm-hmm. so well that while they're on the other side of the globe or in the other town or wherever they are, what's happening to them is happening to me. Similar to the the movement of connection with Christ. What's happening to Christ is happening to me. My suffering, his suffering, I'm joining in his suffering. So they call that the fellowship. Even Paul says that he wants to know Christ and mm-hmm. the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, like to be in this thing in a way that we are really one body, right? So if the if the hand hurts, then it hurts me because it's my hand. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think that's a pretty cool idea, and I really hope that people connect with uh, with our church that way. Um, so anyway, any any other thoughts on that? I mean, you don't have to have any or any. But what do you? Did you hear that message? I did this weekend. Last week, yeah. What do you think? What do you? No, I, I agree. I think. Um... You know, something we, we talk about in the mental health field, and especially, I'll get a little bit into yeah. my background and, and what I do for a living. Right. Um, but we, we talk about connection, um, yeah. how that's such a, a major part of recovery from, you know, the, from mental health and substance abuse and, and, and all that. It, we talk about, um, you know, having that connection and that fellowship yes. with other people, yes. um, having a support system yes. um, is just massive. Yeah. Um, if you don't have that, if you're isolated, um, you know, things don't bode well. Yeah, that's great. That's a great perspective on it. Yeah. So we're going to jump into mental health and, uh, and Tony right now. Today, he is our special guest and our aficionado. This is kind of obnoxious music. Yeah, no, I like it though. You like it? This? Yeah. You like it? Yeah. It's just like, yeah. you're here, man. Welcome. Yeah. I feel like- Ladies uh, and gentlemen, Tony Yukas. <laughs> There it is. Yeah, that's good. good timing. So go ahead, uh, Tony. What do you What do you do? Uh, what is mental health, and what do you do in the field? So um, yeah, so mental health. Um, I I kind of like what Katie said on episode thirteen that I yeah. uh, listened to um, a little bit ago um, about mental health. Is you know, I mean, it it's it's kind of hard to explain, mm-hmm, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but it's about the overall well being of your mm-hmm. emotional state. I mm-hmm. think that's the the biggest. Um, thing that I can kind of, you know, peg with that, yep. um, is, is just emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do for a living, um, mm-hmm. I am a, a independent chemical dependency counselor, um, wow. and also, uh, an LPC. So a licensed professional counselor. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of my work is in the addictions field. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a supervisor for two residential, uh, inpatient units that, um, clients usually stay around 28 days in, mm-hmm. um, and you know, we wow. do substance abuse treatment there. Um, I have about 67 beds under me and about mm. 15 counselors or so. Um, so I do most of the supervision and everything yeah. for, for, uh, a good chunk of our, uh, wow. residential. Yeah. I mean, so people, people who are coming to you in, in, in your work in your specific location, mm-hmm. What what's got them to that point? So a lot of our clients um, that we serve um, are low socioeconomic status or no socioeconomic status. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are most of them are are homeless um, or struggle with houselessness. Um, so it it really that's what drives a lot of people to mm. come in. It, obviously it's substance use, um, yeah. that has, has led them to that point. Yeah. Um, but a lot of our clients that come in, um, 
are, are looking for that. Uh, we're yeah. one of the only places in Franklin County that um, will do inpatient treatment and detox uh, without having insurance. Um, wow. So, do you want to say where it is? Yeah. Yeah. I, I work at Mary Haven. Yep. Um, so we're a, a fairly large nonprofit for, mm -hmm. for what we do. Mm -hmm. um, so we do, um, a, we have a lot of services, um, but where I work is specifically residential, but it, a lot of clients, we have a central intake program where we're one of the only places that you can come for addiction treatment in Franklin County, where if you show up, you're not going to get turned down because away. you don't have insurance. Wow. Um, we're funded by the Adam H board uh, okay. of Franklin County. So that's funded through, you know, through taxpayers, mm -hmm. um, which is, it's just amazing. Right. Um, it's just a steady, yeah. consistent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's able that. to help. How many people are there total clients um, at residential? Yeah, residential. Um, right now we have, let's see. So we have like, we have one unit has 36 and another unit has 31 beds. Um, now that's, that's just substance abuse? Yes, this is all substance abuse. Oh, so that's all. The, the, do they have other beds or residential wings there? We have uh, three residential wings at Alum Creek location. Okay. Uh, I run two of them. Okay. Um, so we have a 36 bed, a 31 bed, and a 24 bed. Okay. Um, uh, and, of, of and chemical dependency is what that's for. Yes, I see. absolutely. Um, and then and outpatient. All, we have tons of outpatient. Um, that's not counting our detox location on South High Street mm. um, that we have as well that you know has detox and central intake. Um, so that has even more beds um, yeah. where they go there first, and then they come to us once they are stable mm -hmm. uh, off uh, okay. withdrawal management. So yeah. So so explain what's what is chem what's happening when someone is chemically dependent. Yeah. So, um, when, it, when it comes to addiction, um, you yeah. know, it, it hijacks those neuropathways. I think, uh, Katie was talking about the amygdala yeah. and what that does, um, and the reward pathways in your mm -hmm, brain. Mm -hmm. Um, so w when someone is, is using substances constantly, the way I like to describe it is like, um, it's like, a river, right? If you have water running through it, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to start carving out and rivers get bigger mm -hmm, and bigger mm -hmm. and bigger as they go, right? Yep. Just because you take the water away doesn't mean that the river's gone. Mm. And that's what we see when people are in recovery um, mm. is that the river's still there. The riverbed's still the there. River, yeah. But the water, the substance that they were using um, is, is gone, right? And so they're freaking so, out. Yep. That's the withdrawal. It's like- Yeah. It doesn't feel it, normal not to have water yeah, the, flowing the down the river. The river wants to be full, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you yeah. want, it wants to have, yeah. So that, wow. that's the way that's I like to, to use that it. as a mm -hmm. neuropathway mm -hmm. kind of metaphor um, about what addiction does to the brain. It literally hijacks the brain to think that, you know, drugs or alcohol are more important than, you know, eating, sleeping, breathing. Like it, it just, it wraps everything up. And what, what, how how it. does it go from substance and 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 starting the river to dependency what what's going on there like where does it become you become chemically dependent yeah um so a lot of times you know that has to do with a genetic predisposition mm -hmm. um but also i mean it it doesn't necessarily have to be that like what um, like like explain that like so someone is is an alcoholic and they just what does it mean? I, they drink alcohol and what happens? So, so yeah. Are you talking about like the genetic predisposition? Yeah, yeah, ge yeah, genetic sure. predisposition. So, I mean, that, that can be like uh, any number of things from, you know, uh, mom and dad struggled with alcoholism mm -hmm. um, or, you know, drug dependence, um, what, whatever that may be. But mm -hmm. you, certain people are wired in different ways, yeah. right? Every brain's wired different. I mean, yeah. we all know that. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I think... 
what are you asking is how what's what's the question? Why do some people when when they drink alcohol oh, sure. have that snap of oh I can't live without this? Yeah. Like what's happening in their brain? What what's going on that's di- like different than me? Yeah, because I I'm not an alcoholic. Sure. I mean, but what, so, you know what's happened to the person that that is. So yeah, so what that is is that's that's those neuropathways mm-hmm. that have been carved out. Mm-hmm. So whether that's genetic or whether that's um, okay, so it's already that, there. Uh, yeah, for a large amount of people, it okay. is. Um, now, not saying that you can't form that. Um, you, okay. Obviously, if I went out and I used opiates every day you would and cr- stopped start using to carve them, that. my body physically would start to crave them. Um, now, when it comes to the brain, I'm not sure what that would do, right? Mm-hmm. But my body would physically crave them. Once yeah. I remove, um, so what it looks like to, to be in that withdrawal, like yeah. my body's starting to crave it, yeah. is I, I'm constantly slamming my brain with dopamine, right? Um, and just it's just... I mean, over flooding it so much to where my brain decides I don't need to make anymore because it's coming from somewhere else. Ah. And once you pull that away and there's no that, more dopamine no dop- coming in, you your just... brain's not making any either. So that's where that withdrawal and that, mm. that's where that comes from as mm. far as like from, from a, a brain chemistry yes, point. Um, yes. I mean, there's obviously way more to withdrawal. And so like, when someone tries to stop, that's why they can't. Correct. Yeah. Um, that's why it's so hard because it, it hijacks that reward system yeah. of dopamine in your brain and says, mm. you don't need food or water. Just or go do this again. You'll feel fine. Yeah. You don't need to, you know, you don't need uh, friends or family or your kids don't matter. Drugs matter. And that's mm. what the, the brain is telling you mm. um, when, when you, when you do that. Yeah. Jeez. So you, your work is someone's coming in, they are addicted to primarily, what do you see right now? <laughs> um, I mean, opiates are obviously at the top. Massive, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that is just the number one thing that we see mostly. Um, and that, you know, I have these discussions like, is, it, is that someone buying them off the street because now people are like selling it because it's addictive and you can get a hold of it? Or is it because somebody had a back surgery and they got addicted or both? It, it just, it really depends on... With like our who's dem- showing up with you? People so buying with it. our demographic, it is mostly the people that are buying them off the street um, solely because by the time they get to us, they've gotten to the point of where they're past getting prescriptions um, because of either their socioeconomic status mm-hmm. or their familiar, uh, their family support, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time they have, by the time they've gotten to us, um, they are past that point. Not mm-hmm. always, but you know, generally speaking, mm-hmm. um, I would say that's, that's typically the case. Yeah. So what what do you guys do with them? What what do you do to help somebody to with the therapy side? And what is the emotional side of that? Like how does emotion play into the therapeutics of all that? And then generally, what is the therapy? Like wh- how do you help somebody? Yeah, yeah. Um, so typically in uh, substance abuse treatment, we do a lot of what's called motivational interviewing, um, where you are pulling out what the client Hmm. um, wants, um, and and kind of using, it's, it's kind of like using their own words against them, right? Like, Hmm. um, trying to figure out what they want and using that to motivate them. Um, and then, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, pretty base for a lot of different stuff. Um, getting them to have it be their own idea. Um, yeah. And, and, and attacking cognitive distortions, um, and things like, 
um, cognitive distortions are like, you know, you're, you're always putting yourself down or I like to call them like the, uh, like the high school football coach, um, where they always put out your wrongs and not your rights. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's like one of the big cognitive distortions, yeah. um, is that you're, you're either too hard on yourself or, um, you, I mean, another one is like over-exaggeration of things. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, there's many cognitive distortions yeah, sure, that can play sure. into that. Um, so you're working through addressing that. Those, yeah. Yeah. And one of my favorite forms that I like to use is, uh, called rational, uh, emotive behavior therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an offshoot of, uh, CBT. Okay. Um, and what, what that is, is where, um, you know, you have, you have something that happens to you. Um, and whatever that activating event is, you have uh, a response to that, right? Yep. Whether that's an emotional response, whether that's good or bad, but that is what makes you act in a way, right? Okay. So how I believe or how I feel about a situation um, is really going to impact what my reaction is. Okay. Now, what we teach with REBT is that if you can interrupt that, if you can interrupt that emo- uh, emotional reaction before you act, you're going to get a positive response versus a negative response. Wow. Right? So I feel like I could use this. <laughs> 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 I mean, I feel like um, I needed like some personal training in this yeah. right now. Um, but yes. Yeah. So that's what we teach. And that's a lot of stuff that we do with relapse prevention. Um, is I so g- g- give a hypothetical. So if I've, you know, whatever, got shot mm-hmm. and then I have a reaction and then the way I think about what happened, mm-hmm. if I could step in and, yep. and actually, I mean, just kind of have a, a moment of awareness, mm-hmm. a moment of, of consciousness where yes. I say, I want to shoot somebody back. Yep. I want to hurt myself. Mm-hmm. I want to hurt them. I want to quit my job. I want to whatever. Like, is that what you're saying? Like, teach them to engage with what yeah, they're yeah, and, and thinking that, and that feeling? That can be a way. Um, I mean, you know, necessarily, like you said, if someone hurts you um, and, you know, you have a negative reaction about that, uh, you have a negative emotion surrounding that. Yeah. Um, if you could interrupt that before you get there, um, you, you have two pathways you can go. You can either, you know, harm them back and get retribution um, or you can forgive them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think if we, if we can interrupt that before, so it gets what is to the, the interrupt? How, how do you teach them to interrupt it? Sure. Yeah. So that's, uh, that, that was talking about with coping skills. Yeah. Um, when we identify our triggers, um, yeah. to whether that is addiction or mental health or you can whatever that may be. Yeah. You can kind mm. of, uh, once you learn those, um, you can anticipate that. And even if you don't anticipate it and it happens, um, if you have an effective coping skill to deal with that. So one of my favorite ones that people always laugh at me, um, is like just the interruption uh, coping skill. Like, I love this. Whether yeah. that's like, I mean, it just gets you to reframe. So that can be like, Oh, I'm blowing off steam because I'm angry and I'm just gonna take a stress ball and I'm just going to throw it against the wall 10 mm-hmm, times. Mm-hmm. Like whatever it is, it gets you out of that instant, like that emotional reaction to something, okay. um, whether that's a, a trigger to relapse for substance use, mm-hmm. um, or whatever that is that gets you in the right headspace to turn around mm-hmm. and say, okay, I should talk to someone about this or, okay, I know that X, Y, and Z is true. I need to not react emotionally to this. Now, when you describe all these things, some of it sounds, this is going to sound condescending and I don't, I don't mean it to, because I think that what you're describing is, is in ways the kind of thinking and, and, and self, uh, self evaluation, self care that people don't typically do every day. Like even just yeah. people that are, aren't necessarily struggling with substance abuse. Sure, absolutely. But it sounds like you're teaching basic cognitive skills yeah. and it's, it's somewhere along the lines, the substance, the whatever experience, whatever, 
it, it's like it, it never it never clicked. So maybe mm-hmm. they didn't have a good support system or they didn't have anyone teach them or they never yep. had anybody work through that. So then their natural outpouring of, of problems from addictive substance abuse turns into this inability yep. to do things that we kind of assume an adult is supposed to be able to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, addiction delays that kind of brain development and and emotional development, whatever that may be. So really, I mean, if you look back at, you know, one person started using substances, you can see a lot of behaviors and characteristics of someone that, you know, if someone started using at 16, they're going to have those Similar, similar things, you know, it's stunts, it stunts be a little their growth, older, right? But yeah. But I mean, so if you're starting using substances at 16, I mean, you're looking at the, the functioning of a 20 year old, basically, yeah. you know, I mean, don't quote me. That's not science, but I mean, that's anecdotal, but it's there, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you're looking at the problem solving skills yeah. um, because they've never had to use problem solving skills without substances. Mm. Um, I think Katie mentioned the same thing uh, when she talked about uh, her eating disorder and kind of using that as a, yeah. as a way to cope with things yes. and, and, or not necessarily control, but you find know, agency. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, that same thing with Similar substances. Thing, yeah. I mean, she mentioned that when she was mm-hmm. talking about substances, um, I assume she knew I was coming in, so she didn't dive too deep into that. She but. didn't, she, she, she didn't know you were coming, but, <laughs> okay. she, but I think that there, there is a, that's the idea. Yeah. It, it, it's hard for us to make the leap with substance abuse, which seems so overtly, obviously, whatever, some type of problem where yeah. an, an eating disorder, people are going to go, what is that? I think a lot yeah, of people are masked. Yeah. yeah, masked. People, a lot of people think that an eating disorder is like, uh, like a rich girl's problem. Yes. You know, and so it's, it's yeah, and it's not, yeah. it's, it's an emotional problem and you're, you're, you're in a, in a, a, uh, like an agency problem, a control problem. Mm-hmm. And instead of going to X, you went to Y Yep. and your brain's doing similar things. So I think that's all the reason that she wanted to make that leap so that people yeah. could know what an eating disorder is. Mm-hmm. But um, okay, you mentioned a word, and it's kind of a it's kind of a hot word right now. A lot of people, even jokingly, talk about triggers. Oh, that's my trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear people on these shows or whatever. They're using. They're, 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 tell, what's a trigger? Because you made you made a comment about how if we can identify our triggers, mm-hmm. then we can in, you know interrupt or intercept reactions and stuff. So can can you give like a general definition of a trigger and sure. and normalize it for us a little bit yeah so a, a trigger is any anything that happens um that leads you to um think about either you know your substance use your mental health disorder um a- anything along those lines so a, a trigger can be any any event it can be any um i mean for instance you're wearing an orange hoodie right now like it could be you know i mean if if i'm a a, a victim of uh domestic violence or if i'm a victim of sexual assault and my attacker was wearing an orange hoodie that can be very triggering to somebody like that that you know has experienced that and the trigger um, is that whatever is is making you want to solve your problem it's the emotional response to that Okay, so, so the emotional yeah. response yes. to some so, event in the past or something that's making you think of an event in correct, the past. Correct, um, or, or think of something, like think of drugs or think of alcohol or think of, you know... Like, like so for some people, like if you see me in the orange hoodie, it could make you think, if, you're, if you've used substances to cope... I want to, I want to, I want to use mm-hmm. because that trigger is making me sure. if, emotional. If, if the person I was buying drugs from also wore a North Face orange hoodie, yeah. then yeah, you know, yeah, like, right, right. I mean, that, that can be, I mean, I see. that's overgeneralization I see, of that, I see. but like 
to simplify it a little bit, that's what that looks like. So um, it's it's like now it, it, with triggers, are we always talking about something that triggers you to do something destructive, like some type of addictive behavior or whatever? Or can you use the word trigger in the sense that people do like when, oh, when someone cuts me off, it triggers me to honk the horn. Like, is it, it and it's just like on a, on a, on a, uh, a scale, like there's mm -hmm. like a, a spectrum I, of triggers or, or is it more related to dysfunctional behavior? I think, I think that using the term trigger like that is dangerous. Yeah. Um, and because people, I think, don't understand that. Correct. They're just like using the term that they think they heard on some counseling mm -hmm. podcast. And now they're like, that's a trigger for me. But it's yeah. not really if it's not leading to a destructive behavior. Yeah, I think. Or an th intense I mean, emotional by response. By definition, um, you know, like in a Webster dictionary, yeah. I'm sure that that, yeah. is, that is what a trigger is. You yeah. Know, something that, you know, activates something, right? Yeah, activate. Um, yeah. But yeah. In, in, in culture today, like, I think we have to be aware that it's almost like demeaning to use that word to for people someone who that's have, really who yeah. struggle with that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I, I, it is difficult. Sure. Um, sure. No, no. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So everything you just described about, well, anything else you want to share in terms of mental health, what you do? Um, I, cause I do want to go to how this plays in the church. Sure. But is there anything, any other kind of groundwork in terms of what you do, what mental health is, what you care about, before we kind of talk about mental health in the church? Um, I, I just, I always, when I talk about like addiction and um, the, the clients that I serve and that I've worked with in the past and, and currently, um, I just always like to say that like have compassion um, mm. for people who are going through that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I know it can be difficult for family members um, that, you know, are, well, let's talk about are, are that. The, yeah, are the family members of people who are using these substances? Um, because oftentimes, um, you know, people who are using substances are very manipulative, um, and that is that is due to that neural pathway I was explaining yeah. about rewards. Um, that look like my respect for you isn't important anymore. I'm mm. going to steal what I need to steal and yeah. do what I need to do in order to get my uh, yes. substances or alcohol, right? Um, so I think just having compassion for them and understanding that, like. Um, unconditional love can go a long way. Um, it's probably what you have to have in order to deal with someone that's suddenly, you know, if you're a parent and your kid's yeah. addicted and they suddenly hate you, mm -hmm. which is kind of a normal phenomenon with kids anyway, and there's, how yeah, do you... There's two ways to go about that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, oftentimes people say, oh, well, people who struggle with addiction need to feel the weight of their consequences in order to change, which that may be true, but there's a tactful way to go about it. Is that true? Um, uh, Sometimes it depends on who the person is. Um, you know, I mean, it's not an exact science. Um, some people, if you know, they continue just to be coddled, um, then they'll just continue to do what they're doing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, sometimes what's people, that called? Um, enabling. Enabling. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. so there's a fine line between enabling mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, showing that unconditional love. Um, but I think when you, when you get real with yourself and say, my unconditional love, because I love you, I can't continue to do this. Can't anymore, continue. To right. Do this. Um, I think that's much, much different than just saying, go away. Right. Yeah. Or, um, cause then that's showing like, I don't love you anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's showing that it, like when you set the boundary and say, look, I love you unconditionally and I can't condone this anymore. And I'm not going to enable you when you're ready to get clean. I am here for you and I will support you. So, so when someone is in that pattern and they just, you, you set a boundary, mm -hmm. I can't condone this anymore. I won't be around this anymore. I'm not going to give you any more money. Mm -hmm. You can't live here anymore. Uh, 
do you do you just set those boundaries and then kind of wait for them to come back? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is typically, you know, what, what you would do is if that's the route you're going to go. Um, I would suggest that people, if you're, you know, struggling with this as a family or just want more knowledge on it, I would, I would read, um, a, a book by, uh, David Chef, um, it's called uh, Beautiful Boy, and I'm sure you've seen the movie on Amazon. They made a movie about Steve Carell's in it. Um, yeah. So I, I, w- I would read that book. Um, hmm. It is from a parent's perspective. Uh, his son Nick went through addiction. Um, he also wrote a book called Tweak, um, and it's 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 pretty good. Hmm. Um, but a Beautiful Boy talks about. David Chef shares how he was addicted to his son's addiction mm. and how he was running around always trying to pick up the pieces for his son um, and all this sorts of stuff, right? And when he finally set that boundary with him, um, did it take some painful things to see, you know, he had to see some painful things his son went through in order to get to recovery. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he had to see his son, uh, you know, under a bridge, um, selling his body for, for yeah. crack cocaine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, or for meth, sorry, methamphetamines. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, he like, he had to see that, right? Yeah. Um, and Which is, is, it, so, is it hard? That's why people don't do it. Yeah, exactly. They can't see it's, their baby, boy, yeah. girl, whatever, friend, take themselves to that extreme. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, I mean, it is, it, is this, it's a fine line. It's hard. So, so I appreciate this because, classically I'm, you know, kind of like, well, you're enabling, you need to set a boundary. You, you know, you, you can't hold your hand out to them if they're going to pull mm-hmm. you in the pool with you. It's like, that's not, that's it's easier not, to pull someone down. Than yeah. Up. Yeah. <laughs> so like you, you, you have to, you have to stay there, but then does setting the boundary, like, what are the statistics? Like, do, do people do well? If you act like, is it the better play? If you hold the boundary, let them suffer on their own accord mm-hmm. until they come back. So again, it depends. I've worked with two different populations um, in the field I've been in. So I've worked with people who are privately insured, mm-hmm. um, and then I've worked with people who are uninsured or Medicaid insured. Okay. So I have I have two perspectives on that, right? Yep. Like um, the people I worked with mostly when I was um, doing private insurance work. Now these are people that are in a higher socioeconomic status absolutely. and have more a stronger support system. Uh, yes, they are typically employed. Yeah. Um, Full time, they yep. you know have have health insurance through their. Uh, wife's or spouses or through their work, whatever. Um, But a lot of the people that we would see come in there were under the age of 26 because they were on their parents' insurance still. Okay. Um, So with that population, um, definitely setting that boundary and and letting it go. Um, And that helped more. Yes. Anecdotally, I would say, like from what I've seen. Okay, that uh, makes sense. In Columbus, you know, in a private treatment center like that, um, yes. That that would that would help exponentially because um, th- they kind of realize my resources are running out. Mm-hmm. They have some sense about them that they they realize they're hurting the people around them. They're hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. They're and, and that somehow because they had support, they they that clicks for them. Yes, because they they have been in the care of their parents or living in their parents' house, and now they can't. Now they can't. But right. someone that doesn't have and, anything, yeah, take it away. I don't care. It, it's hard. Yeah, wow. that, that's, yeah. That, that that is hard as well. I mean, when when someone, you know, under that age of twenty six, like I said, if they're still there, they have that kind of stuff, and you take that away, they're like, now I need to grow up. Yeah, now it's time to grow up. Like now, now I need to get it. But if you do that to someone who's fifty, and they don't it, have anything, yeah, what do you um, take? You it, can't take anything away from it's, me. It's going to get 
mm. a lot worse, mm-hmm. you know, in most mm-hmm. cases. Um, so then in that case, if you're reading the different scenarios and mm-hmm. you're looking at one where someone doesn't have anything, what's the play? I, I, I hate to use that word, no, but no, like, no, what's the fine. good action by, to do? By that time, um, they typically don't have anyone left who is supportive if they've been using for that long. Um, yeah, right. It, it depends on how long as well. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I, right. I've had, I've had people using. when I was working in private, um, you know, insurance, um, residential care that, you know, were in their fifties and sixties and, you know, had, had jobs and families and they had you no know, things that were supportive and just started drinking uh, yeah. three years ago, you yeah, know, yeah. um, after you're, after you're retired or after I yeah. had more leisure time, I just started drinking every day. Now I can't stop. Yeah. Um, in that case, you know, I mean that, that there's, there's some more room to play yeah. with that. But if you're talking about someone who uh, I'm working with now, um, you know, who's uh, uninsured and homeless, um, is it just provide for them? There's not much you can take from them. So, so what? What do you? Is the is the is it like okay? Compassion means mm-hmm. give them a place to stay, or or no? Like I mean, if they're in care, you can't give them care, right? Because that doesn't help. Well, the thing is, for someone like that who's struggling with that, the the, the best thing you can do is just encourage them every time you see them. Um, I'll take you where you need to go. I'll take you to, I'll take you to, you know, so these people intake. aren't in care I'll take because they won't go. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the people that do come are there, but They're you know, if you're dealing with it. someone outside, I gotcha. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that is, uh, in that situation, you know, the best thing you can do is just always constantly tell them like, Hey, I'll take you. I'll take um, you. I'll, I'm here for I'll you. I'll take you to treatment. Yeah. Um, when you're there, I'll, I'll bring it 20 bucks a week to get some snacks on the vending yeah, machine. Yeah, I'll bring yeah, you cigarettes, you yeah, know, whatever. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, just to get him to go. Sure. Um, and, and that may sound like you're bribing them to go to treatment. No. Yeah. But once they're there, um, that's where the work, a lot of times things click. Hmm. Um, the, the hardest thing is to, to go in. Yeah. To actually submit yourself right? to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. So, um, how this plays in the church. What I love is that you, you've unintentionally, you've set this groundwork for all the types of, at least generally speaking, many different types of care, the precision, the wisdom, the practices, the mm-hmm. therapies that help someone who's is, is in an addictive state. And, you know, it's funny this is a church podcast, right? <laughs> we haven't had one conversation about how, you know, the answer yeah. is pray for them, uh, tell them a Bible verse, um, whatever you have it, lay hands on them, which that doesn't mean we don't care about those things. But I want to, I want to hear from you and your heart on how, how just Tony, just give me both barrels. Like any frustration you have with the church's disposition towards mental health, what it looks like that frustrates you and then what you think it should be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my major, and you know, I'll use church as a whole, not, you know, not specifically just, yeah, 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 right. Sure. Um, no, yeah. But you know, the I big mean, C ch- ch- yeah, church. The big C church. Um, I, I have a really hard time and I struggle with, um, people when they talk about, you know, praying mental health away, yeah, um, yeah. that it, it, it really rubs me the wrong way mm-hmm. because it's not just something that you can, you know, pray about it and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that praying for that person, absolutely. Like yeah. that would be great, but pray for the wisdom and the strength it takes to beat the stigma and go into treatment. Yeah. Right. And admit that they have a problem. Yeah. Um, pray for God to move them to seek help 
seek the help yes. they need um, and get the resources they need. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is vitally important. Like you can't just, I mean, I can't just sit here um, because I'm depressed. I can't just sit here and, and yeah. constantly pray that the stuff's going to go away. Yeah. Like while that's great, I think there, there needs to be an action step, right? Like God didn't make counselors and didn't make people in this field to, to study and understand um, if he could take care of it. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's just, I mean, you go to a doctor for a broken bone. So go to, you know, go to a counselor when, yes. when you need some help. Right. Yes. I mean, um, yeah. And, and, yeah. and in the church, I mean, so depression, just cause you hit on that, mm-hmm. but then generally depression explain that like so people are depressed and the church there can be this tone of well Mm -hmm. here's why you're depressed because you don't have enough faith because you don't you don't believe in god you haven't what do you say to that i think that's massively toxic yeah (laughs) um i I think that and and to be frank i i just don't think it's true right like i think that people who struggle with mental health sometimes have the strongest faith, right? Because of what they've been through. Um, And just because somebody is currently struggling with anxiety or depression um, doesn't mean that they just need to be more faithful. Um, I think it means that they need to pray for support Mm -hmm. um, and that the the ecclesia (laughs) needs to gather. Gather um, and do what they do, the body. Yes, koinonia. You have that community of people to say, look, you're not okay. Yeah. Like, let me help you. Um, and, and presenting that in a healthy way. I, I don't think that, um, we can just say, you know, oh, I prayed about it and sure that can put your stress at ease. That can put some of your anxiety about a situation at ease. We're not talking about anxiety over a situation. We're talking about, yeah, we're not talking about anxiety. Your in-laws are coming to town. Yeah. We're talking about like an actual diagnosable, like mm-hmm. anxiety disorder. Right. Yes. Um, so I think that like people, mess that up a little bit. Yeah. That's an interesting point because the, the term anxiety, again, it's kind of thrown around like trigger Yep. where when we talk about Paul says, be anxious for nothing, which I talked about in the, in one of the last episodes, well, he's talking about, I've learned not to completely fret over not having my needs met while I'm in jail because I've learned how to have a little, and I've learned how to have a lot Mm -hmm. and people send me stuff. Thank you. Philippians. So, Be anxious for nothing, but he's talking about having his daily needs met. He's not saying if you have anxiety residing in your body because of whatever, some type of predisposition, Mm -hmm. uh, which I do want to talk about nature versus nurture and both in the Mm -hmm. combination of that and disease versus, you know, just, just, but, but generally speaking, however, anxiety got there uh, or depression in your body, in your mind it's not something that you can just go, you know, I need to just wake up today and just pull up my bootstraps and just do better. Yeah, no, no I just need not, to do better where it's it like, you know, like if the in-laws are coming to town, yeah. I get anxious. If I have certain meetings, I get anxious sure. and I do need to be like, okay, this is anxious. I'm nervous. I got to process the emotion and all yeah. that stuff. And, and that's yeah. all fine. But then, and then there's the truth, right? Sometimes anxiety gets thrown into it. So you're anxious, the in-laws, you're anxious about the meeting, you're anxious about the surgery. Well, you should be, it's nerve wracking, but it's not a disorder. And, 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 and a good conversation with someone who cares about you listens to your anxiety. I'm nervous. I'm having surgery. mm -hmm. Well, it's scary. I know you go under, have you had surgery before? 
Yeah. What was that like? You know, I mean, you let them process. You so let them that's, do it. that's what we call the worried well. Yeah. Um, is that people who are, they don't have a mental health, you know, diagnosable disorder, um, but they have uh, some issues going on, right? Yeah, yeah. And, so there's levels of all this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily that, like, everyone can benefit from a counselor, right? Yes. I mean, everyone has those worries that you were just talking yes. about. Like, everyone has something that's there. Yes. Um, and the church should not come along and just say, the answer to this is for you to pray. Yeah. And not yeah. be anxious because people that have faith aren't anxious, which I, I just have such a problem with that. <laughs> I agree. Well, I, 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 I just kind of laugh because like it, it's weird because like I, I feel like Jesus was anxious. Yeah. I feel like when he was in the garden, he was he, bleeding, you know, he, he was sweating blood. sweating blood. So he was anxious because in his body, he knew what was what going to happen. Have to go through. So yeah. imagine going to Jesus and be like, dude, why are you anxious? You know, you're going to raise from the dead. Yeah, but it's, did Jesus have anxiety disorder? No, no he, was he did not. About a situation. He was anxious yeah, about a situation. You're right, exactly. Like, you know what's going to happen, and you're going to raise from the dead. So why why are you anxious? Yeah, he's he, a human. Yes, he's he, part. You know, he's human and God. Yes, <laughs> he has those human struggles yes, as well. Like I think exactly. that's important. Yeah, and, and I mean, like when he goes and um and he, you know, there's this kind of idea too. I don't know if it's it's connected loosely. Just emotions. Certain emotions are wrong in the church. Whatever. Uh, you know, sadness. Don't be sad. You can't be sad. You should be joyful. And it's like, well, Jesus weeps when, yeah. you know, Lazarus is dead because his sisters are weeping and he yep. connects with them emotionally. And he knows that they're going to write, they're going to raise, he's going to raise them. So it's yeah. like, imagine going to Jesus and saying, why are you crying? Like you <laughs> stop crying right now. I mean, yeah. so emotion is a good thing. I think we've talked about that before. Agreed. I think it's important. Um, uh, so in the church, this idea of when someone is struggling with mental health and, and Rick Warren, I think, and Kay Warren have done some good work on this, uh, because Rick Warren's son committed suicide, mm -hmm. struggled met with mental health for a long, long time. And he's actually the first person that said it, you know, the, what you said uh, about the broken arm. Oh, if you have yeah. a, if you have yeah. a broken arm yeah. in the church, now, there are some people, so this gets into what is God doing with healing? Because there are some people that believe that if you don't have any faith, that's why you're sick anyway. You, yeah. you, know, you shouldn't be sick. If you, if you had faith, you wouldn't have cancer. But then it moves into the mental health space, and it's certainly just because you think those things and take every thought captive mm -hmm. and all this stuff that doesn't mean what it means in the Bible. It's like, so people are like, you don't have faith because you have these types of worries and anxieties and you don't have, you, God would heal you if you believed. Mm -hmm. Well, you take that to the bone and, and it's like, well, that doesn't happen there. No, like your brain is struggling. I, there's chemical dysfunction. Yeah. Your, I, your bone breaks and suddenly it's like, oh, well, that's normal. Go to the doctor. You should get a cast. Yeah. Well, how can we don't view mental health the same way? Is the question? Yeah, I, I have two things. One, um, I don't want to sound pretentious. You said um, he committed suicide. And just completed is is yeah. more of a, a yes. appropriate term, I think. Just yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah just because committed, I feel like it it, act, it feels like you know we kind of go around like a person first language, right? And committed sounds like he, you know he did a crime. Yes, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, but this language, this is great. Why this is the type of stuff, Tony? that a lot of people are like, come on, that's BS. Like that's, uh, that you're, yeah. you're, you're being sensitive. You're being, but it's not. It's not. So to explain why th there's a better term sure. because the term represents a disposition about what's happening. Yeah. In the world. There's a negative connotation yeah, to it that, that when, when someone says the word committed versus completed, um, it, <laughs> it feels like a crime, right? Yes. It feels like, a, you know, I, 
I got a felony because, yes. um, you know, I suffered from this ailment and I ended up ending my own life. Right. Um, and that's, that's not the case, right? Yeah. They were struggling and they may have had, you know, attempts in the past. Yeah. Um, and they happened to complete this. Time. Yeah. They didn't commit a, a crime because right, they, right. uh, you know, wanted to find a way out or didn't see another way mm-hmm. out of, of, of what mm-hmm. they were struggling mm-hmm. with. Um, and, and as people look at that and they, they do all kinds of bad theology, they think it's an unforgivable sin. The Catholic church has taught that incorrectly I grew up Catholic, I'm aware. <laughs> and, and it's not biblical. Yeah. The, the, the unforgivable sin has to do with the Holy spirit and the presence of God, uh, casting out demons. Actually, the idea was, uh, in that passage, if you read it in, in the gospels is that, uh, there's demons being cast out and then, uh, the idea that Jesus is getting at is, well, if demons are casting out demons, then that doesn't make any sense. This has got to be the movement of God. And if you disagree with God doing this, then you're kind of disagreeing with God's presence in the world. Mm -hmm. And that if you disagree with the presence of God's healing in the world, then you don't agree with God's presence in the world. So you can't, you can't, that means your relationship to God is, is, is off kilter. It doesn't, it doesn't compute. So it's not a commentary on committing suicide or yeah. an unforgivable sin and all this stuff. And, but, but I think what's so important is that we have to show we understand mm-hmm. that when someone is contemplating suicide or they, they have attempts, there's more going on. Yeah. And if we, if we see it the right way, they're struggling, they're hurt. Instead of having a broken bone, they've got a, something going on in their brain. They've got yep. a trauma. They've got a predisposition. They've got a disease and they need serious help to be mm-hmm. able to overcome that. Now, I do believe that all of these broken ailments in the world represent a form of darkness and spirituality that, that was never supposed to be. Oh yeah. We're not supposed to break Absolutely. our bones. We're not supposed to hurt one another. We're not supposed to have mental health problems. And of course, God wants us to pray for them. But to your point, the answer to a great marriage is wisdom, working hard, skill. The answer to building a building. Seeking counsel. Seeking counsel. That's something I've talked about before. <laughs> well, I mean, you, 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 I wrote down in my notes here that when we, when we talk about love and joy and peace and patience, these are things that are called the fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And I just did some stuff through Easter talking about how the cultivation of the fruit of the spirit is, is partnering with God. So the spirit of God is in you. Nobody just turns patient overnight. Yeah. The spirit of God is teaching you, guiding you. You've made it your aim to be patient. You see the, the productivity of working on patience and overdue time w- with the combination of uh, just trouble in the world and navigating trouble that you didn't plan on plus focusing on patience, plus asking for God's help, eventually we can actually become these fruits that, you know, people that have patience in our lives. Yeah. So um, anything that is of God in the world now, it's not typically that Jesus is walking around, oh, boom, you're healed. That That was a picture, and I think people need to understand this. So this is like, sorry, my helping people orient because healing people, a lot of people, well, that's what it should be. So then Jesus heals people and people with real faith. So then John and Peter heal people in acts. And then it's like, oh, people that have real faith can really do real healing. And if you really believe, then you wouldn't have these problems. 
That's not actually the mode of the way that God says that the kingdom of God is going to be born into the world. It's Mm -hmm. through the spirit of God working through humans who over time cultivate the fruit of the spirit, which takes time, which takes focus, which takes counseling and Mm -hmm. wisdom and all this stuff. Like you have a building here and you, you don't just walk up to someone and it's like, build the building. Here's the plans. You you should be healed. You should just, you should get it. A Uh building, the Bible says that God made the world with wisdom. So this building was built with wisdom. It took time. It takes tons of different, you know, an architect and engineers and different designers and different uh, outfits and all the different contractors to, to put something together, like our houses, like anything for us to think that that engineering health back into our lives is just some type of thing yeah. is kind of ridiculous. Yep. I just want to, I want to give people that perspective. No, I like, agree. I agree. There definitely. has to be a pathway. If someone has cancer to the best of our ability, we figured out these treatments. Mm-hmm. None of them fix things overnight. Mm-hmm. So there's a process. I, I know plenty of people and I believe, listen, I believe you can pray and I think you should pray and I think you should ask God for healing. But I think when you ask God for healing, you should understand that God is ultimately going to heal, that in the resurrection, there will be full healing. And so in a way, he's kind of already answered that. I think, I think it's important too. what you need to be, when you pray for stuff like that, when you pray for healing, uh, this was a message that Bryce did at high school night um, when I was there, you know, I I lead high schoolers as well. Um, And one of the messages he did is like, you will pray for something, um, but then you won't wait for the response. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you, you'll just, you'll, or, or you won't be looking for, you'll be looking for your answer. You yeah, won't yeah. be looking for the answer God's giving yes. you. Right. Yes. Um, so when you pray for that healing, um, you know, God may give that to you in a very, very different way, yeah. um, than healing yeah. your, you know, yeah. healing your ailment. Yeah. Um, you know, it may come in the form of, you know, a family member reaching yeah. out or it may yeah. come in the form of, you know, you seeing an ad on TV or the radio for, you know, a treatment center or whatever it may be. Yes. Like, it may come in a totally different yes. form. Um, no, I, I think it's, yeah. I, I think it's all important dialogue. I think also that people miss generally speaking that part of the whole new Testament is to be in koinonia with God in suffering. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea of, of the death and resurrection of Jesus is that, you know, his resurrection is our direction. So when the resurrection happened, it was the beginning of solving the death problem. So those people in Christ, we're bound to Christ. So we will die like he died. And then we will raise like he raised. Mm-hmm. So we are still in this age where the age of death and the age of life is overlapped. Yep. And one day the age of death will go completely away. That's the resurrection of Jesus or, or of us from the dead. So I know that's a little bit theological, but no. like, but, but I, I think it's important that the Christian, there are many philosophers who listen to what Christianity proposes as what life is all about and say, yep, it's true. Basically life is all about suffering. It really is. So, so, so I'm not saying that God wants people to suffer, suffer with mental, not at all. What I'm saying is our general disposition towards the nature of suffering in the world cannot be at a minimum, well, we should just have faith and then that goes away. Yeah. It's actually kind of part of what we're all still going through. Yep. And to be bound to Christ in that is to be bound to the only thing that gives you genuine, uh, uh, genuine hope over the suffering that we have. So I don't want to sound like, you know, the guy that doesn't believe that God can heal. Cause mm-hmm. I've seen p- 
people get healed. Yep. I, but for the most part, what I see is people getting healed through wisdom, through skill yeah. of counsels, counselors and doctors. Just like if I want a painting, I hire an artist. I mean, it's the same to me, the same thing. Yeah, I think so. I, I have two things again. No, yeah, um, one, um, what you mentioned about that, just because people suffer doesn't mean that they, they don't get better and God doesn't heal them eventually. Yes. Um, but I, some of the examples I looked at. So when I was in, in school, I, uh, my master's program, I went to Malone university. Okay. Um, it's a Christian university. So it was a very interesting aspect that I had, um, a Christian, um, college mm-hmm. and university and program that I was at, but doing something that was like a science, right? Like I, I got a master's in art, right. uh, in education, um, in a counselor education. So that it, it like, it, they kind of don't, they had a little bit of uh, incompatibility. Yeah. yeah. Um, but part of the good thing about that was that through every one of my courses, there was always one uh, question in the discussion post about how this relates to your Christianity and your faith. Mm. Um, and, and what that looks like. And during that, um, I know I told you I wanted to talk about this book called Cry of the Soul. Yeah, um, but what you were yeah. mentioning, I think is very, it, it's very real that like we go through suffering and then we, um, you know, we, we heal. Um, how God does that is very different. But I mean, just like, look at every Psalm written. Yeah. Like, like yes. I mean, like David, I mean, you know, and like yes. Psalm 38, for instance, I have one written yeah, down read it, here. Read it. You know, he talks about, I mean, I have like certain sections of it yeah. written down. Like he's got several things that he goes through. I mean, Psalm 38, four, he said, my guilt overwhelms me and my burden's too heavy to bear. Yeah. You know, I mean, 38, seven, a raging fever burns his name. My health is broken. Yeah. Um, I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from the anguished heart. Like, like, this this one's my favorite because like yeah but it, he's not very spiritual <laughs> and it, it says my heart beats wildly my strength fails and i'm going blind dude's having anxiety oh dude like, yeah you know? like i mean you Beyond. talk about this kind of stuff and like yes. people don't realize that they just didn't have a name for it right right they all struggle with these they're humans yes right like they all struggle with this kind of stuff yes. i mean it, the one i mean in in kings um i think it was job in Kings? Well, um, Job is his own he, book. He talks about... <sighs> is it in the book of Job or in it, Kings? It's in Kings. First Kings 19.4. He says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he became a broom brush and sat under it and prayed that he mm-hmm. might die. Mm-hmm. I, I've had enough, Lord. He said, mm-hmm. take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Yeah. Like... Oh, dude, struggling. he's at the end. He's at the end of his rope. Yeah, like like the very end. And yes. what do you do for the next? He wandered the desert for another yeah. forty days until yeah. he reached the city. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, countless it's just, stories of yeah, and that's just a few. I just pulled them. I mean, I just Noah pulled them has a drunken <laughs> and falling apart at the you know kind of end of his story. Yeah. David has the Bathsheba, running yeah. well, Bathsheba, but then also running from from Saul being yep. killed. You know, hiding in in caves. Elijah, Elisha, hiding in a cave. Yep wanting to just end his life feeling a total weight of depression. I think that I think that one thing people uh, you know miss about the scriptures is that you know when we want to we take the scriptures and we use it and this may be a little strong language like a weapon or yeah. or a way to manipulate people no, or right. a, a way to say you see we all need to be like David. You know, mm-hmm. who who David was a man after God's own heart. And then it's like Okay. Well, what about 
when he said this and did this and he had all these things. And the scriptures are really showing us the narrative mm-hmm. of God interacting with human beings, specifically yes. through this nation, now through all of us and to all of us, and his covenant faithfulness to us, despite our lack of faithfulness. I mean, that, that that's maybe... In terms of the entire narrative of the Bible, that might be the spine of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. God's faithfulness to his project with humanity, despite the fact that we seized autonomy and tried to rule ourselves. So you're you're looking at humans. Yeah, I mean, and and God uses that. And God, yes. Like in big, big ways, right? Like, and, you know, like David didn't get better by himself and by praying. Right, like that was part of it. Yeah, that that was a big part of it. Yeah, but like, get people around him. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, shouldn't <laughs> you pray whether things get better or not? Yeah, I mean, do we only pray now because we of some something. result? Yeah. How about just you're in connection with God and yeah. you believe that even if the world turns into a nightmare, you trust that He's God. You're not. I yep. mean, read the Book of Job. It's basically God saying, "No one, none of you could possibly understand why the world works the way it does." So you should just worship me because if I gave you control of horses and the oceans for a day, you wouldn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So your wisdom, not my wisdom. You guys have a glass ceiling. I don't have a glass ceiling. Uh, I recently listened to, listened, listened to this podcast about wisdom and it showed this thumbnail sized image of uh, something from the Hubble telescope. And uh, if you put your thumb up to the sky that's 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 how big of a portion of the sky it was taking a picture of mm. and in the picture of it there were i mean i think some thousands thousands of galaxies mm-hmm. all right thousands of galaxies and there are planets in those galaxies that no one will ever see that no one knows about but god made them and he has complete control over them yep and so part of God's argument to Job and to his friends and all that is I'm, I'm like doing something that's so outside of your bandwidth to comprehend how the world works for you to think that it's just cause and effect for you to think that if you do wrong, you get, you know, you get in trouble. If you do right, you don't. And Mm -hmm. it's that simple. You're wrong. I'm way above that. It's almost negligent. It's, it's, (laughs) it's, it's, I'm way beyond that. And if you just try to think for a moment about if you think you could put a horse together, you couldn't. Mm-hmm. So my, my point is, like, I think that that we need to have a relationship with God that is not just results, not just wanting him to fix, not just wanting it, but just to, to be in awe of him, to know that he's doing things we'll never comprehend, mm-hmm. and to actually have the wisdom to be like, I don't understand this and I don't need to. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to understand this. So some of that's the way it is with mental health. It's kind of like, oh man. I mean, I, I have a I have uh, a brother who is you know he's diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, mm-hmm. heavy drug use in his teens, heavier drug use in his twenties, four kids, abandoned those kids, uh, has been arrested four times one time by the secret service impersonating FBI agents. I mean, just, yeah. par- just, you know, been in mental hospitals, attempted, mm-hmm. uh, suicide. Is that the right? Yeah. Attempted it. Yeah. Um, multiple, at least one time. I mean, 
you know, I look at my life and my family and I'm, it, you know, I don't really understand yeah, how it all. This is where you want to go nature nurture, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go, go there for a second. Because I, I, I that's what you wanted to do. Well, because I, I kind of feel like people play both sides of the fence, whatever side plays well best for them. Yeah. You know, so if you're a parent and you have a kid who is mentally challenged or, or whatever, has some kind of mental health diagnosis, yeah. then it's, it's, it's nature. You know, but if you're a kid and you're and you've been struggling your whole life, then it's nurture. It's their fault. Sure. And I, I think that it's probably a you know a mix of the two. Oh, it definitely and is. And that's what science would say. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, is there that genetic predisposition? Um, sure. I mean, there's you know just like there's a gen- genetic predisposition to diabetes, yeah, or right. cancer, yes, or yes. lung disease, or yes. you know whatever. I mean, th- yep. it is for everything, right? Yeah. Um, there, there's a you know a specific gene that yep. causes that um or some type of sensitivity to some yeah. type of environment and you put multiple things into that equation and it it just doesn't turn out well y- yes but i mean so that that has to do with with the nurture, nurture aspect, part, yeah, right? Right, I yeah, mean, yeah like, add that yeah yeah i mean so if you're growing up in a dysfunctional family um where you don't have uh support and you you know aren't loved and taken care of and your needs aren't met right yeah um, and you're constantly living it, it no, I want to talk about briefly, just like the no, Maslow this, yeah. hierarchy of needs, yes, like yep. what you can't work on the next one until the first one's met. And the first yes. one, the basic one is, you know, shelter and food. Yes. Like if you're, if you don't have food, water and shelter, like what can you work on? You're yes. not worried about that higher level, you know, kind of stuff yes. and learning about that kind of stuff. If, if your needs, basic yes. needs are survival. Met. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think like if, if that's happening, um, your development is arrested, right? Your growth is stunted, yes. whether that's your brain and your that physical is, that, growth. That's the thing. I think the nurture side, we have to get our head around that. Like what we do mm-hmm. with our kids, how that work is, is so important. Yeah. Creating a stable environment, yep. meeting and, their needs, letting them be kids, raising them, giving them what they need so that they can develop and grow into people that can be independent. Yes, absolutely. I think that it, and when you... When you don't do that, you know, and those needs aren't met, um, now it not is always going to be as serious as you know, not enough food, water, or shelter. No, it's but it's I mean, emotional the, presence. It's correct. It, yeah. When, when that when that love and support is not there and not present and not yeah. shared, um, you know, that's why we see so many issues um, coming out with of people and like, I mean, my parents' generation, right? Like they were raised by the baby boomers, mm-hmm. and you know, they're like that was like the greatest generation, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I mean, my grandpa didn't tell my dad that, he you know, he loved day. him every yeah. day. Yeah. Right. Um, and not that that's like the fix all to everything, but like, when you look at that, you see all these, these mental health issues that you know people are like, Oh, it's crazy. They just start having mental health issues in their fifties. Like, no, no, right. that was there. Yes. They just, they never talk about it. Yes. Um, and I think that's important as well. Like it, in that, in that nurture area, like I grew up very fortunate that my parents were emotionally intelligent about some of this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm very fortunate for that. And that's part of the reason I am where I'm at yeah. and that I was aware of this type of stuff. Yes. Um, you know, while there's still issues yeah, but surrounding it, but that. It but mattered. it mattered. Yeah, it definitely mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think that that's important too, like the conversation that we have about it. I mean, you know, the, the more and more I see, you know, with the younger millennials and Gen Z, like I, I, I think it's great. Like they just normalize this. Yeah, kind of, they, they, a they lot of it's been talking about it. Yes, right. And it, sometimes it gets it gets mis 
it's in a, you know, they, they don't define it quite appropriately or, you know, they may say because they're having anxious thoughts that they have an anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And it, it's almost like somewhat saturated with some of this talk yeah. that it needs to be, you know, be careful because kids that are really battling through some of these yes. things at a yeah, severe you know, I, level, I, agree, I, agree. I think sometimes it, it's just, it's kind of become a little buzzy. It has. You know, I've got anxiety. But also, I have anxiety. I also think well, that... I'm sure you do to a degree, and, yeah. and that that's probably normal because the world is crazy right mm -hmm. now, but there's there's levels of this. Yeah, but I also think it's it's good that, like, they are open about that. Yeah, to um, talk about what they're struggling with. Yes. Um, I, even, like, with their friend group. Right. You know, I mean, right. I, I don't know, when I was 15 or 16, I wasn't talking to... About your emotions. About my emotions and about, you know, I mean, like... <laughs> no, some, you just some of don't do that. like, oh, you know, my counselor told me the other day or my therapist said, you know, it's like you, you didn't hear that, yes, you know, I yes. mean, what, 10, 12 years ago for yes. me. Like, I didn't hear that, you know, yeah. you, people don't say that kind of stuff. It was yeah. kind of like, oh, did you hear they went to counseling? They went to counseling. You know, like they yeah. have to like whisper it. Like, yeah. No, I, like, I, I've, I, I think counseling <laughs> needs to be viewed as more of like an like, you know, a lot of people think of it as like the transmission went out of the car, so you got to take it and get it fixed, but it should be viewed more as a oil maintenance, change. oil change, yeah. you know, something regular in your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, counseling gets a weird rap. I mean, I think a lot of people have a problem with it because they go there when things get bad, so they feel like what they're doing is admitting that something's wrong in their life. Mm -hmm. But counseling should be viewed as like a safe place to have a dialogue that matters. Yes. I mean, honestly, when you see it that way, you can go to a counselor, you can pay them, or if you have insurance, pay for part mm -hmm. of it, or go to something free, whatever. And that person is going to sit and talk to you about you and what you're dealing with. And that's it. And they're going to help you, and they're going to help you untangle thoughts mm -hmm. and, and understand the world and have wisdom and therapies. And I'm glad you said it like that, that they're going to help you not fix you, right? You know, like, yeah, they're going to help gonna you. They're going to help you untangle that yeah. ball of yarn that you yes. have in your head into you know a straight piece that you can use. Yes. Right? And, yes. And I think that people in the church need to view that as, a, in a way, you should care for yourself that way. Mm-hmm. You should care for yourself. I agree. If you're, if you have some type of trauma in your past, if you have some, then you owe it to yourself to go and say, I'm struggling and I want to get better. Mm -hmm. Just like we would say, you need to go to the gym every day. You need to work. You need to eat healthy. You need to get rest. You need vacations. You need rest, whatever. Yeah. Like we would, if you have this going on, go deal with it. But and then on top of that, it's something you can offer the world because if you can straighten out what's going on with you and you know, I, I've been to counseling therapy now over 10 years. Yeah. I was diagnosed high on the narcissistic scale. First time I went, man, that was a really helpful bit. Like that was hard. And then it's like, okay, I got to manage this. What does it mean? How do I do better? Yep. And they helped me through it. And I can go in there and say, this is what I'm thinking right now. And they're like, well, you have a tendency to think that way. And here, do you remember why? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. And you get to, you get to, you get to, you really get to kind of clean out the arteries of all the junk and understand. Mm -hmm. So that's wisdom. If you don't, I mean, I don't, somebody really, really smart said, know thyself. I mean, I don't remember who it was, but if, <laughs> I don't know. Probably someone that everyone thinks is a bad guy or something. I don't know. 
But I'll tell you what, knowing what's going on, knowing what happened to you, yep. be, becoming, you know, stable in a sense in that way so that you can move into the world in a more healthy place. No, I agree. I think, um, I've been going to counseling for about two, two, three years now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, I, I struggle with what, what's called persistent depressive disorder, which mm. is uh, formerly dysthymia, which is, um, it, it's just a, like a constant low grade depression. Okay. Um, okay. that, you know, it, it just happened to be a lack of serotonin in my brain. Right. Wow. Um, so, I mean, so, so yeah, I mean, when you, when you, Go there. You're able yeah. to talk about those things, and, yeah. and some some of the the things going on in my life, and some of the resentment towards people I have, yes. um, often, plays into that. Often has to do with me not expressing my own needs, mm. um, and then I get bitter and I get uh, you know passive aggressive mm. about uh, what someone else did because I didn't say that I didn't enjoy that or I did Ooh. or didn't like that. So you get, um, it's like you missed and, out. You cheated yourself. Yeah. And, and, and that's part of, part of the reason that I, uh, some of the things I get frustrated about, and that's what I've been working through, right? And, yes. And all around, whether I have dysthymia or not, I know that yes. now, and, and, and I know how to address that, yep. right? And I can, I can, like we talked about earlier, call myself out on those things yes. when I'm starting to feel like that. Yeah. I can say, look, like the, these are my needs, and I'm learning how to communicate those effectively yes. um, and communicate those clearly and, mm-hmm. and, and not, you know, being... Hey, I need this now, you yeah. know, demandive about it. Yeah. Um, but learning how to communicate those effectively yes. um, and, and getting your point across yeah. is, is big for me. That's I mean, huge. Yeah. No, I've had, I've had many epiphanies like that. I, I, I had an epiphany that I was abandoned and why I have emotions around certain moments mm-hmm. in my life that are so overwhelming. It's like a furnace inside. Yeah. And, you know, my counselor was like, Joel, your mom moved away when you were nine yeah. to a different state. And I was like, yeah. And? <laughs> so? Yeah. <laughs> tell me something I don't know. He's like, you don't know that that was abandonment. Now, if my mom is listening to this, this is my story, mom, not yours. You have your story. I know why you left. My story is it was hard that you left <laughs> and no, really no, hard. Let's go back to that. Yeah, yeah, go. That is massively important, I feel yeah. like. I feel like we need to tell our truth and our story um, and not cater to other people's feelings. Yeah. Whether that is, like I said, you you know she has her reasons for yep. leaving, right? Yep. I, but I feel like that's massively important for for people that we are able to tell our truth and our side of the story yes. and how we genuinely feel. Yes. Um, because if we don't, again, just like I was talking about, if we don't let that show, like yep. we're going we're gonna to be scorned. We're yep. going to have, you yep. know, that, that sour attitude yep. towards it. Yeah. Um, I think that's important when, when you talk about that. And that's, that's language that we use in the counseling field as well, especially people with trauma. It's, um, is that, that's the language. I mean, I can tell that that came from, Oh, that, that, <laughs> can, that comes right from therapy, <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like uh, this is my story yeah. and this is my truth and this is what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so, and how I feel about and how it. I feel about yeah. it. And w- w- that alone is just therapeutic in the sense of like, I get to say what I feel. Yep. I get to process that emotion. And so, you know, instead of feeling so with abandonment, you know, if, if my, if, you know, a coworker or someone doesn't respond the right way, which maybe it's miniature or maybe my wife doesn't, you know, say something at the, at a certain time, if I'm already feeling this kind of deficit Uh of, I have abandonment then I take out my abandonment feelings on the world around me. And I did that. Mm -hmm. I did that. It was like this blazing furnace. And he's like, 
So I, I kind of learned like, oh, I was abandoned. You, that, that's really hard. You need to grieve that. You need to grieve the fact that, you know, it's not just that your mom left at nine, but then she wasn't there when you were 10. She wasn't there when you were 11. Mm-hmm. So you, you have all this empty space that you're hurting. So you need to kind of go through the grieving process of making meaning out of that. Yeah. And then you can move into the world and not look for everyone else around you to fill your needs because they never will. Yep. But you'll be mad at them and you'll just ruin your life by making it their responsibility. And really <laughs> not, not yours to fulfill your need, but yours to recognize a problem, what it is, and heal. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I, I can't, I mean, I, I, I think people, I think people that don't go to therapy are like, I, I might even look down on them a little bit, which is not, not okay. <laughs> no, but no, it's I, not good. But in my mind, it's not that I look down on them. It's actually what it is, is I feel I'm like, Oh, I want you to unpack. Mm-hmm. I want you to unpack that. And usually it's like right in front of people's faces. It's like, so it's like your, you know, your, your, your parents got divorced. Well, that's an easy one. Yeah. Your, your mom got cancer and died when you were 16 mm-hmm. and then you just move along. Oh, if you've not yeah. actually sat and dealt with that, like that is still playing a role in your life every single day mm-hmm. and wisdom counseling and, is going to help you heal. And even if that's not a, a Again, I, I don't think, you know, everyone has mental health disorders. Like, no, right. Yes, it, yes. No, yeah, exactly. Like, There's one, a difference. Like I talked about those worried well people, like, yep. like that that can help. You know, yes. that, that, that even a short term, like, yeah, I've been going to counseling for three years, but even like a short term yes. counseling, like to, to deal with an issue, right? Right. Like it, well, mental know, health disorder, but also just mental health. My, yeah, my, exactly. Just because my arm's not broken doesn't mean I don't need to absolutely be, get healthy and work out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, exactly. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think like... It, yeah, if you are one of those people who just has just mental health in general, mm-hmm. um, and if you, if you lost your job, right, mm-hmm. um, you know, go to counseling for, yep. if you go to counseling once a week for six weeks, yep. and you start to resolve those issues about your feelings about it, yep. you're able to get back in the workforce, like, great, yep. awesome, you don't need to utilize yep. counseling anymore, you know, yes. I, I think that, like, people often see that as, like, um, you know, if I go to a counseling I'm going to be diagnosed with a mental health disorder. I'm going to be tagged with that stigma forever. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, they have all these um, things that they think are going to happen. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that's very important that you said that about just mental health in general. Yes. Um, hey man, yeah. we all can grow, right? Like I want to grow. Don't you want to be like, to me, emotion is life in a sense that's like the way you experience things. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, you, if you're if you in a bad place emotionally, you can be at Disney World and hate your life. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about it that way, it's like, oh, it's really not There's about where you anyway, are. So. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> it can be both. It can be bad in, in every way for some. But my point, you, you get my yeah. point. Like, you got to deal with this inner world and get healthy and work through it, it mental and emotional health. Uh, I'll end with a story. Uh, I'm going to talk about this actually at, at the leadership conference uh, that's coming up May 17th here at the church. But, uh, I was doing a message and it's just so funny, Tony, like whenever you do a message, people, you know, people hear sometimes just whatever they want to hear. Right. So I was talking about, I think I said something about being authentic Mm -hmm. and how I wanted to be authentically healthy. And this guy cornered me out, out there in the hallway after the message. He's like, see, 
He's like, you know, when you're talking about being authentic, he's like, that's what I tell her. He's pointed to his, and I love this guy and I, I don't mean any ill, but yeah. I told him this. So he, he know, he, he'd laugh if he was sitting here. He's like, yeah, you, yeah, that's what happened. But he, he said, see, I tell her that's why I don't smile. Cause I'm being authentic. I'm being authentic because I, you know, I don't, I'm mad. Some people just make me so mad. And I said, I said, well, that's good that you're being honest, that you're mad. I said, but I would not settle for that in your life. Why would you want to go through your life being mad? It's <laughs> yeah. like, good. I'm glad you said you you're mad. It. You recognize you're mad. But now, man, you, what? come on, man. You're going to sit in that? You're going to sit there? Yeah. You're going to like let your light? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm mad and I'm going to tell you that I'm mad. Well, good for you. Well, that's almost, it's almost. So I said, go. I said, dude, now you need to go and figure out why you're not. Because wouldn't it be nice? If you didn't have to be mad all the time, it's almost like it's, <laughs> How do you it's, get it's that almost like that is almost worse than just living in ignorance. Right. Yeah. Like, like if you recognize a problem and don't address it, yeah. like, like that's even, that's the that's Chinese me, water that's, torture. Yes, it's like dripping, yeah. dripping and you realize yeah, like, it and your life is, Oh, I horrible. know this is the problem. I'm just going to put it in the back burner. Yeah. I know this is the problem. I know this is the problem. Exactly. Like, it's, it's like when you're, it's like when you're, you're, you're driving your car and check engine light comes on and you're like, Oh, it's on. It's like, Kramer. It's, cool. it's there. I'm used to it. Yeah. Did you like say and then your car breaks down. Right. Like it, well, yeah, I warned you. Yeah, I told you the whole like, time. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I, I was yeah. like, I appreciate being authentic, but let's get authentic to be a happier place. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean all the time, but more, more, more of the time would be good, right? Yeah. It's like, here's a goal. Let's have some mental health. Let's have some emotional health. How mm -hmm. about go chase that down instead of telling your wife that you're mad and that's okay. I think really what it's that people don't know how to communicate. That's what she's saying. Why are you mad all the time? Mm -hmm. Why don't you smile? Cause I'm mad. Okay. Well, I want you to smile. So it's not pain up, put just, you know, fake it and act like you're happy. You might need to do that sometimes, but can we get to the root here? <laughs> like, yeah, no, I genuinely want you to smile. I would like you I to smile you to because like, you're happy yeah. for this moment and yeah. it's real. Cause that would yeah. be nice. I, I really, I really value authenticity. Let's get some authentic health. Mm -hmm. You know, anyway, well, yeah, Tony, no, good. dude, thank you so much. Yeah. There's so much to learn uh, from you. Thank you for what you do. Yeah. You do great work, man. It's important work. Uh, I know plenty of people that have been on the receiving end of the work that you do. And I just hope if anybody listens to this, I, I, you're in the church, maybe you have specifically some type of addictive uh, disorder that you're, you're challenged with, or maybe you haven't come to the place where you're ready to recognize it and you've had people tell you. I hope you hear this and know, like, you know, people want to help and it's okay to say, yeah, this thing has captured me. It's raptured me and, I'm, and, and, and I need help to get through it. And I hope that you would go to a place like Mary Haven and get some counseling and get some skill because I do believe that's the wisdom of God that's leading you through that type of growth. And I think that's, that's maybe if you say it's prayer or it is prayer, the answer to prayer is people like Tony. So, um, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, more next time. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. This is the rest and we'll talk to you next time.